You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Microsoft identifies and disrupts Russian cyber espionage activity. An update on Red Alpha and evil PLC proof of concept shows how programmable logic controllers could be weaponized. Ben Yellen has an update on right to repair. Our guest is Arthur Lozinski of Umnitsa with a look at attack surface management maturity. And the clock gang hits an English water utility. One of them. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. Microsoft yesterday outlined recent activity of the Russian government threat actor Redmond Calls Seaborgium. The company's report begins. The Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center, Mystic, has observed and taken actions to disrupt campaigns launched by Cyborgium, an actor Microsoft has tracked since 2017. Cyborgium is a threat actor that originates from Russia with objectives and victimology that align closely with Russian state interests. Its campaigns involve persistent phishing and credential theft campaigns, leading to intrusions and data theft. As is typically the case... Different researchers track this and possibly other related activities by different names. Microsoft says, Cyborgium overlaps with the threat groups tracked as Callisto Group by F-Secure, TA446 from Proofpoint, and Cold River from Google. Security Service of Ukraine has associated Callisto with Gamaradon Group, tracked by Microsoft as Actinium, However, Mystic has not observed technical intrusion links to support the association. The group's targets have been found for the most part in the U.S., the U.K., and other NATO allies who support Ukraine during the present war. The report says such targeting has included the government sector of Ukraine in the months leading up to the invasion by Russia and organizations involved in supporting roles for the war in Ukraine. The group gains access through social engineering, phishing campaigns that have targeted both organizations and specific individuals. There's some appearance of linkage to conventional criminal activity, but this seems likely to represent either opportunistic collaboration with gangs or deliberate misdirection. The motives appear to be espionage and influence. The report states, Cyborgium intrusions have also been linked to hack-and-leak campaigns, where stolen and leaked data is used to shape narratives in targeted countries. While we cannot rule out that supporting elements of the group may have current or prior affiliations with criminal or other non-state ecosystems, 
Mystic assesses that information collected during cyborgium intrusions likely supports traditional espionage objectives and information operations as opposed to financial motivations. Cyborgium's contribution to disinformation and information operations is interesting. The report says, in late May 2022, Reuters, along with Google Tag, disclosed details about an information operation, specifically using hack and leak, that they attributed to Cold River Cyborgium. Microsoft independently linked Cyborgium to the campaign through technical indicators and agrees with the assessment by Tag on the actor responsible for the operation. In the said operation, the actors leaked emails and documents from 2018 to 2022, allegedly stolen from consumer ProtonMail accounts belonging to high-level proponents of Brexit to build a narrative that the participants were planning a coup. The narrative was amplified using social media and through specific politically-themed media sources that garnered quite a bit of reach. Microsoft's report includes a caution against spreading the narratives that it links to the threat group, saying, While we have only observed two cases of direct involvement, Mystic is not able to rule out that Cyborgium's intrusion operations have yielded data used through other information outlets. As with any information operation, Microsoft urges caution in distributing or amplifying direct narratives and urges readers to be critical that the malicious actors could have intentionally inserted misinformation or disinformation to assist their narrative. With this in mind, Microsoft will not be releasing the specific domain or content to avoid amplification. What has Microsoft done to disrupt Cyborgium? They say, as an outcome of these service abuse investigations, Mystic partnered with the abuse teams in Microsoft to disable accounts used by the actor for reconnaissance, phishing, and email collection. Microsoft Defender SmartScreen has also implemented detections against the phishing domains represented in Cyborgium's activities. We mention in disclosure that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. Recorded Future this morning outlined recent activity by the Chinese government threat actor Red Alpha, an operation the company's researchers have been tracking since June of 2018. Red Alpha has recently been observed conducting large-scale credential theft. Its targets continue to be humanitarian, think tank, and government organizations globally. Red Alpha's techniques involve a great deal of credential harvesting. Recorded Future says, Our research uncovered the suspected China state-sponsored group Red Alpha conducting credential harvesting activity targeting individuals and organizations globally, with a particular focus on civil society and government sectors. The group has used a consistent set of TTPs to register and manage large clusters of operational phishing infrastructure, using a mixture of pages impersonating popular email provider logins and custom webmail login pages to mimic specific providers and organizations. Its objectives are consonant with those common in Chinese intelligence and security operations. Since 2015, the group has engaged in consistent targeting of individual citizens and groups associated with minority communities, many of which are subject to reported human rights abuses within China. More generally, Chinese state-sponsored groups continue to aggressively target dissident and minority groups and individuals, both domestically through state surveillance and internationally through cyber-enabled intrusion activity. This targeting of sensitive and vulnerable communities, many of which have security budget and resource constraints, is particularly concerning. 
Clarity's Team 82 research group has developed a novel attack that weaponizes programmable logic controllers in order to exploit engineering workstations and further invade OT and enterprise networks. It's a proof of concept that demonstrates what Clarity considers a hitherto unexplored vulnerability in PLCs. Clarity says, This technique weaponizes the PLC with data that isn't necessarily part of a normal static or offline project file and enables code execution upon an engineering connection and upload procedure. Through this attack vector, the goal is not the PLC such as it was, for example, with the notorious Stuxnet malware that stealthily changed PLC logic to cause physical damage. Instead, we want to use the PLC as a pivot point to attack the engineers who program and diagnose it and gain deeper access to the OT network. The researchers emphasize that all the vulnerabilities we found were on the engineering workstation software side and not in the PLC firmware. In most cases, the vulnerabilities exist because the software fully trusted data coming from the PLC without performing extensive security checks. And finally, the CLOP group, after a failed extortion attempt, published stolen data from South Staffordshire Water, a utility that supplies water to Staffordshire and the West Midlands. Computing reports that the gang published data that included passport scans, screenshots of user interfaces, and spreadsheets to a dark web dump site. Klopp apparently believed it had hit Thames Water, a different utility, which may offer a partial explanation of why the ransom attempt failed. The systems have continued to deliver water safely and reliably throughout the incident, so some data was lost, but the water continues to flow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Enterprise technology management firm Umnitsa recently shared results from their 2022 Attack Surface Management Maturity Report. I spoke with Arthur Lozinski, CEO at Umnitsa, for some of the highlights. Let me start with the 60% of organizations who have what we're defining as low confidence in their ability to manage the attack surface. The risk that the attack surface is both internally and externally showing is that the growth and the influx of technology is creating more challenges for IT teams and security teams when it comes to the security, of course, the compliance, the audit, of that attack surface. And we see that problem just continuing to increase because of the proliferation of that. Uh, With that, we found 53% of organizations are finding remote workers deviating from the security policy, which is a quite significant number. 80% of organizations are pursuing a hybrid or multi-cloud strategy, which isn't surprising. But many of those organizations who have qualified and experienced staff, uh, infrastructure and visibility, they're facing cloud protection challenges during this hybrid or multi-cloud strategy. And we found that really interesting because that is a significant number of the market who's going to continue spending on cloud and multi-cloud strategies, for them to raise their hand and say, we have misconfiguration and we have control automation protection challenges, I think is quite showing of the current state of many IT teams around the world. Now, when we look at some of these numbers, you know, for example, starting with uh, the the fact that so many organizations have low confidence in their ability to manage attack surface risk, what do you suppose is the source of that? Is it uh, is it lack of funding? Is it personnel? Where do you think that's coming from? We're facing a relatively new challenge. The influx of technology, the way we've seen it today, is a fairly new phenomenon. The service focus of IT professionals has really shifted. I think before the IT CIO team was always seen as a servicer of other business units and other lines of business. Our job was to make sure email was up and running, the CRM was up and running, we were taking requirements from line of business and implementing them. What has occurred during this influx of technology where we've gone from simple things like servers uh, relatively to clients, thinner clients over time, has now become 
all kinds of endpoints. It can be point of sale systems, internal IT falls in that category. There's a ton of new networking equipment from physical firewalls to switches to routers. There's only more of those coming online. We're seeing the same thing with infrastructure. We talked a little bit about the on-premise versus hybrid, but that's continuing to grow, both the cloud infrastructure and on-premise infrastructure, of course, is not going anywhere. And then there's an influx of the applications, not just the installed applications, but also the applications that live in the cloud or the SaaS applications. And with the influx of all of this technology, the way to manage this has been from a service perspective. It's been tickets. It's been about business continuity, understanding relationship mapping of servers. But that relationship mapping, that business continuity process and the products available really aren't built to put the machines and the technology in the center of the workflow. Service management was built for humans to execute on the workflow. And I think that's causing many companies to have a less secure attack surface, less compliance, most likely not audit ready, and they're not providing a great experience for their either internal customers, their internal IT, or even their external customers. You think of retail environments and such. So I think it's the influx of technology and the old way of trying to solve the problem that's continuing to increase the challenges companies are seeing. That's Arthur Lozinski from Umnitsa. Joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, Interesting story here from Wired. Uh, This is written by Lily Hay Newman, uh, and it's titled, A New Jailbreak for John Deere Tractors Rides the Right to Repair Wave. What's going on here, Ben? So the right to repair wave uh, has taken off, especially at the state legislative level and really among policymakers all across the country. You have... All of these devices where individuals who aren't affiliated with the company that created the device don't have access to be able to make repairs. Mm. Uh, and that really hurts the consumer because if you have a tractor from John Deere, you can't just go to Bob's tractor uh, fixer guy down the street as maybe you would have in a pre-digital age. Right. But you have to go back to the company itself, which can be burdensome. Uh, they Expensive. Can make it yeah. Significantly <laughs> pricey because they can, right? Right, right. Uh, so this story is about somebody who has tried to hack a way out of this right-to-repair problem. Uh, so it comes from a organization called Sick Codes, uh, mm-hmm. and a, a hacker named who calls who goes by the hacker named Sick Code. Just an aside here, I'm trying to think of besides hackers. Uh, I don't know, DJs and rappers? Are those the the, uh, the only two groups I can think of that, that go by... These uh, type, of, type of stage code, names? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, maybe characters on The Wire or yeah, other right. uh, okay. police procedural shows, yeah, they true. have those AKA names. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But yeah, very few of them have names as cool as sick codes. Right. 
But this individual at a DEF CON security conference in Las Vegas presented a new jailbreak option for John Deere tractors Hmm. that allows him and potentially millions of users to take control of many of their models through a touchscreen. So that would get around, at least temporarily, this issue of the right to repair. If there is a jailbreak where you don't have to go back to John Deere to repair your tractor, farmers are going to love it uh, because then they can repair their devices more cheaply. Right. There is another side to this, though, that right to repair has become more than just a kind of practical desire. It's become a movement Hmm. uh, from a policy perspective. People really want laws passed uh, to give consumers the right to repair their own products with a vendor of their choice. Mm -hmm. And something that's expressed in this article is just coming up with a hack that creates this sort of jailbreak might cut against that broader movement Hmm. uh, because you're only freeing somebody as it relates to this one particular device Yes, you know, that might be a uh, cyber vulnerability for for John Deere, but it is limited to John Deere. I think what the right to repair movement really wants is something that's more all-encompassing, where mm-hmm. we're not hacking device by device at presentations in Las Vegas. We're actually coming up with concrete policy changes to give people the option to have the right to repair. Yeah. Uh, so I think that concern is something that was expressed by uh, people interviewed for this article. What about the point of view from a manufacturer like John Deere? They they can come at this and say, look, this stuff is complicated. This software is, uh, there's a lot to it. And uh, we're just protecting our users from potentially bricking their own tractors by messing around, you know, in things that, that are, you know, they shouldn't be. Yeah, it's, it's reasonable in one sense, uh, and I understand John Deere's perspective. Uh, I think there is some truth in the fact that if you get access to the motherboard, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to cause more harm than good anyway. What right-to-repair advocates would say is that should still be the choice of the consumer. The consumer should have the choice to assume that risk. Mm. Um, if they know somebody who claims that they can repair software, it's the consumer's responsibility to do their research and make sure that, that person actually knows what they're talking about. It's not John Deere's prerogative to close off that avenue uh, to every single alternative vendor. In this particular instance, John Deere might actually be thankful because this hacker seemingly exploited some vulnerabilities that now John Deere is is promising to patch. <laughs> uh, so this might actually work out better for them in the, in the <laughs> short run. Cat and mouse, yeah. Yeah, it is a cat and mouse game. But in the long run, I think this illustrates, again, that we need a, at least from the perspective of right to repair advocates, a broader movement where it's not some guy with an alias uh, hacking every single company that, you know, let's be frank, some of them are, are companies more prominent than John Deere, like a certain Apple uh, yeah, yeah. Apple computer, which has had many of these right to repair uh, issues and lawsuits. Mm-hmm. I think the broader movement is to institute policy that gives consumers the affirmative right to repair so that we're not relying on people coming in and, and trying to hack into these devices. Yeah. All right. Well, it's an interesting development for sure. Again, this is, a, is an article over in Wired uh, written by Lily Hay Newman. Uh, ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.